So, what book are we in? Do you remember? James. James. And we're almost done. We're going to start chapter 5 today. And we may finish up next week or the following. So we've almost completed it. Starting chapter 5, turn there. Uh, if you will. I'm going to talk to you today, today about the rich and the poor. Everybody say that with me. Rich and the poor. Yeah. And how do you think about those categories? How do you wrap your mind around yourself and how you fit into those categories? How do you speak about other people and how they fit into one of those categories? This is a big theme in the book of James, this idea of stewardship. It's, in fact, a big theme in the Bible, how we steward our time, our talent, our treasure. How do we manage all of these gifts that God has given us? Uh, How do we invest for the glory of God, for the good of other people? Big theme throughout the scriptures. And what I need you to learn to do is to think critically and think biblically about these topics, not just economically, not just socially, not just politically, but be open to what the Bible has to say about the rich and the poor, because it's a bit of a different take. And the Bible doesn't have two categories, in fact, rich and poor. It has four categories, um, not expressly so, but but inferred, and I want to give them to you. The first of them is the godly poor. That's a category that a lot of people fit into in the Bible. Jesus' own family fits into that category, the godly poor. Jesus himself fits into this category. Our life groups this fall, I've been told, are going to study the book of Ruth. Ruth is a woman that fits into the category of being the godly poor, that is, until she uh, meets Boaz, a man who's very wealthy. Uh, This includes the poor widow, if you'll remember, who gave uh, the only coins that she had. It would have been the equivalent of like six hours of the average day's uh, wage. Um, that's, That's all she had. That's all she gave. Um, and, and, and that is an example of, of uh, someone who's godly and poor. This would be today like uh, your neighbor, perhaps, who's a single mom, who's working hard to make ends meet, who's taking her kids to, to, to daycare, which is undercutting or usurping part of the wage that she's earning, trying to make it, striving, doing everything possible. Um, to, to, to take care of her kids, taking them to church even, but evaluating, gosh, the gas to get to church, the expense, there simply isn't that much available. The godly poor. The second category that people fit into in the Bible is that of the godly rich. These are people that love Jesus. These are the people that have resources. These are those that give a lot away. These are those that don't hold on to their wealth. This is Abraham. This is Job. This is Joseph of Arimathea who gifted uh, his tomb to Jesus. This is Lydia, this fashionista out of the book of Acts that sells these amazing modern uh, goods, uh, these these fabrics. She's got homes all over the place. Okay, generous lady loves God um, by God's grace. 
Um, if we break ground next spring with our building, which seems at this point highly likely, uh, we will have done so. I hope you would agree with the help of both the godly rich and the godly poor. Amen? It takes a team, doesn't it? It takes a team. Third, there's the ungodly poor. Proverbs talks a lot about this kind of person. These are those who will not, absolutely will not work. They're those who drink away. They're those who gamble away. They are those who surrender to their own proclivities and compulsions. They're poor, um, but we don't get the impression that they're poor like Jesus. They're not poor in spite of their striving. They're poor due to a lack of striving. And the fourth category is that of the ungodly rich. There's ungodly rich people throughout the Bible. There are the Herods, the pharaohs, they are those that use their wealth to oppress people, to keep the poor down. Um, this includes uh, people like the, even the rich young ruler who has a lot of fame, a lot of money, uh, power, and just can't turn his life over to God, can't part and share what he has. The way they get it, the money, is ungodly. The way they hold on to it is ungodly. So without answering aloud, you've heard the four categories, let me ask you to put yourself in one of them. And while you're thinking about it, godly poor, godly rich, ungodly poor, ungodly rich, while you're thinking about it, let me uh, put it this way. We live, don't forget, in the United States of America. Let me just bring a little context to the way you're evaluating yourself. Um, we need to be very careful not to just immediately throw ourselves into the poor category. Uh, the standard of living that you enjoy may be underwhelming on average locally, but compared to the rest of the world, in all likelihood, it looks amazing. Um, to prove my point, just imagine the people in Jesus' family uh, being kind of teleported across time to the future, 2,000 plus years into our day and walking into your house and saying, what is that? And you saying, well, that, well, that's a refrigerator. And them opening up and saying, well, what's a refrigerator? Sorry, I'm from the South. A refrigerator. Okay. Well, that's, well, that's what we use to keep our food at, at my preferred temperature. Oh, okay, I haven't, I haven't heard of such a thing. Wow, you've, you've got a lot of food in there. Is that just your family's food, or is that like for the, for the whole neighborhood? Are you a distribution center? No, that, that's, that's just the food for, for our, our family. Oh, well, what's, what's this door over here? This is an interesting little cubby. What, oh, that's called, that's called a, a pantry. Oh, what's a pantry? Well, a pantry is where we, where we keep all of our extra food. Oh, you've got extra food. 
Where in the world do you get extra food? Well, there's a store down the road, and it's full of extra food. You never heard of that? It's a grocery store. No, I've, I've never heard of a, of a grocery store. We grew our food. We depended on the weather. How do you get to that grocery store? Well, that's the, the, the big boxy thing you see in, in the driveway. The, those are cars. We, we get in them and, and, and we, we drive them to places for, for, in large part, convenient sake. Some necessities or, or so we think. Oh, that's, that's interesting. What is that on the wall? That flat thing. Oh, that's, you've never seen one of those. Well, that's endless entertainment. At our discretion and disposal, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And check this out. If you don't like our Netflix, we've got Hulu too. We've got movies. We've got TV shows. Just take your pick. What's that small room over there? In fact, why all the rooms in general? In my place, we just had one room and we all lived in it. All 12 of us. But that room in particular over there, that little one, what is that? And what is that white porcelain cylinder in the corner of that room? Oh. Well, that's a, I guess the best way I could describe it, it's a magical object that gets rid of things that we want to get rid of. Oh, and I notice it's cold outside in Wisconsin, and, and yet we're in here, and there's a temperature variation. How is that possible? We, I don't see a flame. Well, we have a heater. It's powered by the propane tank or the gas line running under our streets. Do I need to let this play out any longer, church family? See, we live in a country where if we have a slow internet connection, we start reading Bible passages on suffering. Jesus said we'd be persecuted. And you're certain this is exactly what Jesus had in mind. My cat videos keep buffering and buffering and buffering. We don't have it as bad as we think, do we? Historically, in some ways, the poor among us live at a level of luxury that even the kings and queens didn't have in years past. They couldn't even dream of ages ago. And globally, America is still rich. How many of you noticed when you went to El Salvador that, that there wasn't a heavy ICE presence? Immigration, customs enforcement. People are trying to get here. 
My point is that even those who consider themselves poor have a higher standing of, standard of living than most people around the world. And today, James is primarily dealing with two of the four categories, the godly poor and the ungodly rich. And you'll notice he has some very terse things to say toward those who are ungodly and wealthy. Why? The Bible says, to whom much is given, do you remember? Much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. That is to say that God has a higher level of expectation for the haves. The context is absolutely financial. If I'm going to put a lot of your hands in your hands, God says, I want you to be generous. I want you to help other people. But instead of that, the, the ungodly rich that James is talking to, um, one of them is hoarding and the other is defrauding. Verses 1 through 3. Remember, this is Jesus' brother writing. Now a pastor. He says, come now, you rich. Now earlier in the book, he addresses people as brothers. Here he's going to talk to non-Christians. He's going to tell them, we'll read it in just a second, that they're going to hell. I want to prepare you for that in advance. So he's talking to the unsaved Come now, you rich. In other words, those of you who, whose identities are in, in wealth, come. Their net worth establishes their self-worth. They wouldn't have expected what James is going to tell them next. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He says, hey, you may be accustomed to flying first class, but I assure you, your final destination will not look like a vacation if you continue this. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Make no mistake about it. James is talking about hell. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Here's what I want you to understand. He uses the words laid up, laid up. Notice he does not say you've had treasure. He says you've laid up treasure. He's not saying it's not okay to have treasure. He's saying it's not okay to lay up treasure. He's saying it needs to be shared, not hoarded. Now, if you're looking for Echoes of a sibling relationship between James and Jesus, which I think is fascinating throughout this book. If you don't buy that James spent a lot of time with Jesus, I keep telling you they were bunk bed buddies. Listen to Jesus' words, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Does it or doesn't it seem like James has been spending a lot of time with Jesus? It's near identical language. Jesus himself gave instruction, the ungodly rich have not heeded them. Now James is coming behind and sweeping up the pieces and rebuking people. Jesus said and James repeated, listen, if you have clothes that you don't even wear, 
and moths are eating them, that's not the best use of your resources. Just think about it. Think about who needs that. James says, you have so much gold and silver, it's corroding. This is like the, the person who has more than, than the number of vehicles they need to drive. One's falling apart in the driveway. It's rusting. There's no need for it. Meanwhile, the single mom lives next door. Could really use something to drive. And it never dawns on the owner I am not using this item. It's just rotting away. It's perfectly good. It's perfectly usable. I should just give it to somebody who needs it. James, big idea is you cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can. Yesterday, we had our first ever big give, this huge free garage sale at the church. Many of you donated items from your, from your home. Um, the Burris family brought over a bag of stuff. It, this room, I wish you could have seen it, it was full of kids' clothes and shoes. The, the Stratford School talked to their faculty. They brought over like eight boxes full of kids' clothes and shoes and backpacks and, and school supplies. And we had 24 people come through a couple of families um, mentioned how appreciative they were of this gesture. What we had left over, a whole wall of it, is going to go to Foster Love, an organization. And the rest of the room is currently sitting on my utility shed trailer in the shed to go to Vinny's on Monday when they're open again. I mean, is that awesome or what? This is just stuff that was sitting in our homes being eaten by moths. And now somebody else is benefiting from it. It's exactly the kind of thing that James was urging people to do. He's telling non-Christians, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Be open-handed. It's not that they didn't have a right to purchase things. It's not that they didn't have a right to purchase things they would enjoy. It's that they were hanging on to things that they didn't even use. And it was not in their heart to let somebody else use that, those things that needed those things. And James is saying, you need to know God. You don't know God because God is a giver. That's who he is in his nature. He's a sharer. And God's heart does so gladly. And then he moves on to defrauding. James chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by what? By fraud. There's the issue. Are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury. And self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let me explain to you um, what we've just read. Um, there are two groups. One is a group of landowners. The other is a group of laborers. And the landowners he's speaking to 
um, are unbelievers, as I've mentioned. They don't love the Lord. The laborers, on the other hand, uh, do love Jesus. They're getting unjustly treated, however. They're crying out to God. They're hardworking, blue-collar people. They're supposed to get paid at the end of the day for their labors so that they can go home and provide dinner for their families, but they did not get paid. So at the end of the day, they're sitting home explaining to their kids why they don't have food on their table because daddy didn't get paid today, even though daddy worked very hard today. And the cries of the harvesters reach the ear of God. And we're very naive if we think this couldn't possibly happen today. Because it does. Sure it does. You don't believe me? Ask any self-employed tradesmen, plumbers, drywallers, electricians. I've heard stories. People don't get paid. And they don't have the means to do what? To fight it. It's literally James' words. He does not resist you. They can't resist because they don't have the means to hire an attorney. They're pinned. And the people that didn't pay them know they're pinned. And that's where the fraud happens. They're helpless. And if that's you, if you're a person that's worked and has not been paid, I want you to know this morning that God loves you. God cares about you. The ear of the Father is turned toward you. He hears your cries and he cares about your family too. And this is what I want to share with everybody in closing. If we're to simplify this, there's really just two attitudes two mindsets in the conflict in James Church. The first mindset is that of ownership or attitude, we might say. The second attitude is that of stewardship. And let me articulate the difference in closing. Ownership says things like this, the attitude, I don't belong to God. If there is a God, he's not in charge of my life. Furthermore, nothing I have belongs to God. Not what I drive, not where I live, not what I do. I'm not his. My things aren't his. In fact, I deserve everything that I've worked for. Let's face it, there are winners and there are losers in life. You lose, I win. Might makes right. This is the survival of the fittest. The end of the story justifies the way that I took to get there. I stiffed you tough luck. Furthermore, I only answer to me. I only answer um, to, to me, not God. I'm not going to give an account. There's no day of judgment where I'll need to answer for what I did. What's mine is mine. What's yours further is mine. And there's no recourse for my actions. James said, you better watch out if that's your attitude. 
Your joy is fleeting. Your gains are temporary. And there is a life after this one in which the benevolent, kind creator will judge you harshly if you don't repent and change and turn to Jesus. And by contrast, here's the attitude of stewardship that every Christian ought to profess and have. I belong to God. So scriptural support, Romans 1, 6, and you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Church family, we are not our own gods. We belong to Jesus. Jesus owns us. He is sovereign over us. This very thought can change everything if you truly grasp it. I do not belong to myself. I belong to him. And if you're hesitating to become a Christian for this reason, you should. You should. Because being a Christian is a sacrifice. God is in charge of everything. Don't get me wrong, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. He's much better at being in control than we are. How many of you have realized that in your life? Like, I'd rather have the blessing of God. Thank you very much. The attitude of stewardship begins with, Jesus died for me. He paid a price to purchase me. I am his possession. I belong to him. Not only do I belong to him, but everything that I have belongs to him. So for that reason, I'm going to be a great steward of what I have. I don't own it. This means that in reality, it's not us giving God 10%, for example, of our stuff, as much as it is God giving us 90% of his stuff. I mean, that's an awesome deal, isn't it? Getting 90% of somebody else's stuff. I mean, I'll take that deal. Amen. Some of you say, look, life is hard. No, what I'm saying is that if we assume we deserve hell, and if we see everything that we've been given as not belonging to us, but gifts from our Father shared with us, then we start finding reasons to be thankful. Everything we has have as a, as a gift coming down from the Father of lights, the scriptures say, what would happen if you went home today? I'm going to give you something to do today or this week. Go home and carve out a half hour and just make a list of everything God's given. Everything God's given. And um, we could spend all afternoon, we could spend all week doing this if we really put our minds and hearts to it, thanking Jesus and if you say, you know what, if you have a victim mentality, honestly, my list is really short. Let me just give you some things for, for starters that the uh, Protestant reformers um, called common grace of God. You know, things like the planet Earth. I mean, am I wrong or is this a really nice planet? It's a nice planet, isn't it? 
I mean, compared to the alternatives, the gaseous planets with the rings around them, like this is a pretty nice place. Right or wrong, we breathe air. Oxygen, it sustains us, yes or no. That's the common grace of God. Let's write that down. God, thank you for my body. Thank you for my body. Some of it doesn't work. But most of it does. To the glory of God. God, thank you for my taste buds. I don't know about you, I love my taste buds. Taste buds are amazing. See, when we understand that everything is given by God, the sense of entitlement is gone in the name of Jesus. The presumption of his grace is gone. When we realize we didn't earn any of it, it's a complete gift handed down from God. And all of a sudden, a sense of awe and wonder and gratitude for being alive returns to us. And we as Christians should be the first to live and exist in this state of appreciation and awe and wonder at what God has given. It's a a gift. My kids are gifts. I just love seeing their little bodies grow tan over the course of a summer. It's just the cutest thing. And their hair gets blonder. And they laugh. They, boy, do they laugh. It's amazing how much laughter time away from school can bring. They just laugh. The opportunities we have are gifts. Our possessions are gifts. The resources, stored resources we have are gifts. Even the days of our life are gifts. In salvation, it's the greatest gift of all. We say that, but have you ever thought about it? In every other religion, you have to earn it. Not so in Christianity. Christian Lu- uh, C.S. Lewis stood in a room full of non-Christians. The uh, other uh, major world religion uh, uh, subscribers And they asked him, what's the one thing that sets Christianity apart from everything else? And he said one word and walked out of the room. He said, grace. That is the difference. It's a gift given. It's not earned. So if we belong to the Lord and everything is from the Lord, then I am a steward of the Lord. The question becomes, what do we do with what we've been given? What is it, Lord, that you want me to do? Oh, you would like, what? what's that, Lord? You'd like for me to forgive someone because you forgave me. Oh, I see, forgiveness is, is a gift. I need to steward that gift. Oh, you want me to be generous toward a family because you've been generous with me. Oh, Lord, I'm starting to understand. I get that now. 
oh, you would help me, you would have me help somebody move to relocate from one place to another. Because I remember there was a time where I bought pizzas and somebody came and helped me move boxes out of my home and into another home. I just want to steward the gift you gave me on that occasion by helping somebody else. A steward recognizes and realizes that it's Jesus' stuff, it's Jesus' gifts, and that he's given me the authority, I can't believe it, to decide what to do with it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us. God, for years, the, the attitude in the, in the Christian community, especially among certain circles was give to get a blessing. Lord, how selfish. How backwards. Lord, you're, you're asking us to give to be a blessing to other people. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us be appreciative of every gift, monetary and otherwise, that you've given us, your people. And I pray that you would help us to steward it, to manage it as little supervisors of yours in such a way that you smile, that you are most pleased. That you get glory, that you get honor. In Jesus' name, amen.